This COVID-19 podcast, produced by the George Washington University Hospital, was recorded on March 19th, 2020. Welcome to GW Hospital HealthCast. I'm Bill Klaproth. And today we're talking COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. My guest is Dr. Keith Mortman, Chief Division of Thoracic Surgery and Associate Professor of Surgery at the George Washington University Hospital. Dr. Mortman, thank you for your time. So the GW Hospital is currently treating a patient with COVID-19. Can you tell us what symptoms the patient presented with, the person's current condition, and what treatment is taking place? Sure. So GW transferred in first COVID positive patient a little over 24 hours ago. This is a gentleman who's in his late 50s, whose only underlying medical condition was high blood pressure. And he initially developed a fever and a cough, which like many others, then progressed to shortness of breath. He had presented to an outside hospital where very quickly he needed to be intubated to have a breathing tube placed in his mouth into his airway and connected to a mechanical ventilator. And what we're seeing is that there's rapid progression and damage to the lungs so that he needed higher and higher levels of support from that ventilator. And it got to the point where he was on maximal support from the ventilator. And that's when the outside hospital reached out to our expert team here at GW, and the patient was transferred to us for something called ECMO, which stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. And that's a fancy way of saying that the blood actually needs to be removed from the body to be oxygenated and then returned to the body uh, simply because the mechanical ventilator by itself is not adequate. Wow. So this person went from cough to shortness of breath to a breathing tube to now being on a ventilator that quickly? Very quickly, yes. So that should be concerning for all of us. You don't often hear individual patient stories like that. So the George Washington University Hospital was the first in the nation to use VR technology, virtual reality, for thoracic cases. You are now using it in the fight against COVID-19. You are taking this VR technology and using it to basically see inside this patient's lungs. What did you see? When we recreated the images into 360 degree virtual reality, it became obvious very quickly that there's such a stark contrast between the virus-infected abnormal lung and the more healthy adjacent lung tissue. And it's such a contrast that you do not need an MD after your name to understand these images. This is something that the general public can take a look at and really start to comprehend how severe the amount of damage that this is causing to the lung tissue. The damage that we're seeing is not isolated to any one part of the lung. This is severe damage to both lungs diffusely. So when you saw this, what did you feel? What was your first reaction? My first reaction is... You know, as somebody who spends a lot of time uh, educating the public about various conditions as well as professionals, I wanted to get this message out and get the get this picture out to the public so that people who so far have not been heeding the warning of public health professionals can perhaps see these images and see the destruction that is uh, 
being caused in the lungs and why these patients' lungs are failing to the point of needing a mechanical ventilator. Hopefully the public can see these images and really start to understand why this is so serious and how this virus really is not discriminating uh, amongst various people, how it is really starting to affect people of all different ages. So with VR technology, you can really see this damage, which is important for all of us to understand the possibilities of what can happen with COVID-19. So can you briefly talk a little bit more about this technology? How does it work? How is it used? And how do you think it's going to help you in the fight against COVID-19? So at GW, we've been using the Surgical Theater 360-degree VR platform for approximately four years. Uh, we were the first uh, thoracic program in the country uh, to use this particular software to create VR images. It's been used several years now, both for surgical planning um, as well as patient education. Um, so when we had our COVID positive patient transferred to us, uh, we very quickly uh, recreated these images into the VR platform so that we can get a better look at the damage that is being caused to the lung. Well, having seen it now, it's much easier for you to describe what's happening inside our lungs, and that really puts it into perspective and how COVID-19 can really be a wrecking ball, for the lack of a better term, on our lungs. Exactly. Uh, we, we do know that the majority of patients who are testing positive for the virus uh, exhibit very minor or maybe even no symptoms, but approximately 20% of patients are exhibiting uh, shortness of breath and more severe symptoms. And a percentage of those patients are the ones that are we, we're now seeing in our intensive care units. And many of those patients are requiring uh, mechanical respiration, requiring to be put on a machine to help them breathe. Wow, this is really scary. So when you say the potential for long-term damage, we've all heard of scarring of the lungs. Is that what it is and what does that cause? That is what's happening essentially. It starts off as this viral infection uh, and then it becomes a severe inflammation in the lungs and when that inflammation does not subside with time then it becomes essentially scarring in the lungs creating long-term damage and it could really impact somebody's ability to breathe in the long term. So earlier, Dr. Mortman, you mentioned people not heeding all of the warnings right now and how this virus does not discriminate, and it's starting to affect people of all ages. Why should young people be concerned? Young people should be concerned really for two reasons. One, because young people are becoming infected with the virus, and we're seeing more and more reports every day of younger patients being admitted to hospitals. So it can affect them directly. The other reason is that for those young patients who are not getting sick themselves, the greater concern to some degree is that they are asymptomatic carriers. So although they don't exhibit any signs or symptoms of the disease, they can actually pass that virus on to other people they come in contact with, whether it's their mother, father, brother, or sister, or grandparents, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a coworker, or even if it's a stranger. And that's why young people should not only be concerned about their own health, which they should be, 
but about the health of others and the people that they may infect, even if they are asymptomatic, they may be a carrier and could be infecting people that have a higher risk, such as the elderly, people with compromised immune systems and or underlying health conditions. But going back to what you said about how this virus does not discriminate, this should be of concern for every American, no matter what age, especially now that you've seen the damage that COVID-19 produces. This truly is a public health and a global health phenomenon. It is affecting every age group on just about every country now, certainly all 50 states in the, in the U.S. So this is a nationwide, a global, a community problem. This is not addressed towards any one individual. So let's talk more about those at risk who I was just mentioning, the elderly, those with compromised immune systems and or underlying health conditions. What can you tell us about those who are most susceptible? Yeah, so so the people who are most susceptible have other long-term health issues um, and they might be immunosuppressed for, for various reasons, whether they're taking chronic steroids for different conditions um, such as arthritis or, or others, uh, people who have diabetes, people who have cancer, high blood pressure, and other chronic health conditions. Uh, these are the patients that we're seeing are really most susceptible. So we've all heard wash our hands, wash our hands, wash our hands. Can you just go over again the measures we can all take to stay healthy and avoid the virus or, again, avoid passing it on to others? Yeah, there's only so many things that any one individual can do, but we have to take the precautions that we can. So it does start with personal hygiene, washing your hands frequently so that, you know, if you do happen to pick it up from, let's say, a, a grocery cart at the at the supermarket or, or a door handle or, you know, the car door, wherever, wherever it might be, because we do know now that, that it is living on certain surfaces up to three to five days, depending upon what that surface is. It's different for plastic and metal versus, you know, wood and cardboard. So washing your hands frequently. If you do have to cough or sneeze, to do it into your elbow, into your sleeve. Social distancing, keeping approximately six feet apart whenever possible. And that's a hard thing to do to stay away from large public venues as much as possible, and that's clearly becoming easier to do as more and more industries are, are closing. It does not mean you need to be under, at least not now, it does not mean you need to be under lock and key uh, in your home 24-7. Uh, you know, the experts are saying that, you know, it is a good idea to get out, get some fresh air, uh, walk around, again, with the caveat about, you know, staying away from large groups, uh, staying away from groups of more than 10 people, Obviously, if you know you you live in a home with other family members, you know going out and and taking a walk and, and getting fresh air. The National Park Service just uh, came out and said that they're waiving admission fees, uh, you know, to their parks during this crisis. So if you live anywhere near one of those, and we certainly have one or two in our region, good idea to get out and get some fresh air. That is a great list. And can we talk about masks for a minute? There seems to be some confusion on should you wear one, shouldn't you wear one? So can you clear up the confusion for us? 
Yes, to help clarify the confusion, really right now the only patients who need to wear a mask are those who have respiratory symptoms themselves. So uh, people who are, are coughing or are sneezing to try and uh, protect the spread of those germs, um, those are patients or people rather that should be wearing a mask. So if you're otherwise healthy and do not exhibit uh, any symptoms, there really is no need for people to purchase or wear these masks as right now it's really taking away critical supplies from the healthcare professionals who so desperately need them. That is so true, and that should clear up the confusion. Dr. Mortman, this has really been educational and informative. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. That's Dr. Keith Mortman, and if you or someone you know is experiencing symptoms for COVID-19, call your primary care physician or local urgent care for an assessment over the phone. You can also learn more at gwhospital.com coronavirus. That's gwhospital.com coronavirus for more information and the latest information. You're listening to GW Hospital HealthCast, where the George Washington University Hospital physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of the George Washington University Hospital. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. Thanks for listening.